0: thing we have to fear is fear itself and so my fellow americans ask not what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country we are fortunate to be alive at this moment in history i can hear you <laughs>
1: Who knocked these buildings
0: down will hear all of us soon. The truth is plain to see. If you want freedom, take pride in your country. If you want democracy, hold on to your sovereignty. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on the Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be back together. It's a busy time. Holy cow, we've got so much to talk about. And the first thing I want to fill you in on, uh, let me remind you, it's uh, it's been uh, awesome, the response in the last few days. You know, yesterday I interviewed um, Senator Chuck Grassley, and then last night Sidney Powell, I'll talk about that, uh, all these different folks, and an explosion of interest to folks that want to see what we're up to. So please go to uh, ProAmericaReport.com, Report. Dot com and track all the work we're doing. I'm uh, uh, the president of the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles National Organization. Uh, we've got eagles all across the country. And the last few days, we've been doing the Eagle Countdown. Eagle Countdown. So um, it's been really exciting. And I do want to make sure people know I've got a new book. I'll, I, it's going to officially launch on Monday, but it's a new book. It's called Top 100 Trump Promises Made, Promises Kept. And uh, I already have to add to it. I'll maybe pencil it in all the copies because in there I do have uh, one of the promises is two Supreme Court justices, which is a huge thing, obviously. Uh, now we can say three, it looks like. It certainly looks like in this term, there will be three uh, Supreme Court justices. And um, so that's pretty cool. And uh, we're excited about that. You can learn more about the book and get it. It's very, we, we're selling it. It's only $5. We're selling it at cost, about about $0.30 cents above cost to cover when we mail it. but. If you go to PMPK, Promises Made, Promises Kept, PMPK2020.com, and you can look on my social media, you can get yourself a copy of Promises Made, Promises Kept. Uh, it's uh, very cool. Corey Lewandowski wrote the intro, uh, the foreword. Uh, uh, General Mike Flynn gave us an afterword. It's a, it's a great little tool. I hope you'll uh, get a copy and use it uh, to help people understand what's at stake. PMPK2020.com, pmpk 2020com Okay. Um, so. I spent a good part of my day yesterday with Sidney Powell. And I have to tell you, she is one of the most extraordinary people I've ever met. Um, she is really, really uh, impressive in person. Now, I was trying to describe on my Periscope earlier this this phenomenon. When you, you meet a lot of people that have been around for a while, you know, they have experience, uh, and they may be highly educated or not, but they just end up wise. It's a combination of experience and sort of, um, I don't know, confidence, they just end up wise. And when you meet somebody like Sidney Powell, she talked about um, how the Justice Department mishandled things, the treatment of Flynn, but she also talked broadly about justice in America. She talked about the Constitution. She's just an extraordinarily wise woman. And one thing about her that struck me, and it was a question that one of our eagles asked, and I did not ask it on on the uh, on the, the uh, eagle eagle countdown, uh, uh, the virtual uh, uh, program we did. I I, I I thought about asking her, and I sort of backed off because it's kind of an unseemly topic. I was going to say, Sydney, do you get threatened? Do you, are you worried about your your physical safety because she's so prominent now? And I didn't ask that. But later I was I had a meal with her and we were talking. I asked her that, and she said, You know, I don't have a spirit of fear. And I said. Well, I'm not asking that. I'm asking if you uh, are threatened. And she said, no, I don't have a spirit of fear, so I don't even pay attention. I, we, I, don't, I don't answer anyone who calls me that I don't know their number. If they leave a message, I'll call them back. If it's something real, if it's something else, I don't do it. And I'm, I'm careful. But she said, I just don't think like that. And I thought to myself, you know, half the time in life, it's how you per- how you perceive what's going on around you is what makes you, uh, makes you reality. I, I kind of mean it. But what an extraordinary uh, lady she is! What an extraordinary tough prosecutor! And I was reminded of the phrase that's so often used about um, uh, about uh, by Abe Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was speaking of U.S. Grant, and he was uh, asked about him, and they were someone was complaining and this kind of thing, uh, and he uh, he was. Um, saying you know for those people that want to try to get me to get rid of him and uh, all this kind of stuff and he 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 said that he, he you know look at the, at a certain point he said i can't spare him he fights I can't spare him. He fights. And people were saying, oh, he's he's sometimes uh, he's sometimes gruff and he's sometimes this and sometimes that I think they used to describe. I don't know if I knew it. I don't know if anybody's ever knew known it, but they describe it often that he was a drinker, heavy drinker. I don't know. I don't know if that's ever been proven or not uh, proven. But President Lincoln's uh, point is I can't spare this man. He fights. And that's how it is with Sidney Powell. And I have to tell you, what you need to know about her is you need to go back and look at her career. In the last two years, she she corrected me, 16 months, she's been a a, a fighter for mayor, uh, Mayor General Flynn. Extraordinary. But for the last 15 years, she's been someone who has been on the forefront of pointing to the problems in America and saying, we have a problem here. We have a problem with our justice system, with prosecutors that are out of balance and things like that. And the book she wrote, License to Lie, and her speeches and what she was doing, extraordinarily important and valuable. And, uh, and she did it for a, a decade or more without anybody noticing. In fact, they mostly probably were shunning her. I think I know that some of her old colleagues in down in uh, Texas where she's from really shunned her. Um, and yet she kept, uh, she kept going. She couldn't, she couldn't not – she could not – Stop! She couldn't stop telling the truth. She just was going to tell the truth. That's just who she is and what she believes. And it's extraordinary. It's really been extraordinary to see her do that. Uh, and uh, we give her a lot of credit. And last night she received the Singlob Award. We gave her the General Jack Singlob Award for service to America. Ah, there's nobody more deserving. There's nobody I can think of her service, not just to General Flynn. It's big, big her service to America by, you know, in the last 16 months when she served General Flynn as his lawyer, identifying the problem. That's big. But for 15 years, she's been pointing to the problems and they've the problems have caught up with where we are. And it's making a huge difference. So uh, thank you to Sidney Powell for uh, coming to Washington, D.C. to receive that award. And it, go online. You can look on social media and other places. We've got her, uh, the discussion with her up, and we'll have more about that. So uh, very cool uh, experience. Okay, let's talk for a minute about the Supreme Court fight. Uh, you probably have heard today the president is going to announce his nominee on Saturday. Um, and more importantly, and more interestingly to me right now, um, Senator McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate They appear to have their, um, you know, ducks lined up. I mean, obviously, there's going to be made-for-TV drama. The media is going to want to let Kamala Harris and the Judiciary Committee jump out, and they're going to let all this kind of stuff. And here's the thing. In the Senate, there's—this is going to sound ridiculous—there's senators. They don't really care the same way, I don't know, a House member does or a governor does. They're senators. They're kind of, it's an elite club and they know it. And sometimes it infuriates you to see how they act. But a lot of times they're going to do what they're going to do. And um, the senators appear to uh, be listening to Mitch McConnell that this is a priority. The president is going to nominate someone that they, I think that they will find acceptable. And it's pretty extraordinary. It's pretty extraordinary to see the direction it's heading and how quickly it's going. Um... But here's an observation I haven't heard anybody make, and I think it's important. If for the next 40 days or so, 41, 42 days, the left is just seized by the need to protest and shout and create falsehoods and make life miserable on the question of the Supreme Court. And I think they will. You know what that does? It takes a lot of energy away from something called the election. And right now you can't stop Trump voters from voting. There's there is no lack of intensity on Trump voters behalf. There is a lack of intensity on Biden voters. There's not a lot of excited by There's people that hate Trump. There's not a lot of people that are feeling great about Biden. He's a visionary. He's what we need. Now, they just don't like Trump. And when you take resources, dollars, people away from a campaign, if you know campaigns, you learn this. It has a huge impact. So I I believe that this Supreme Court shift, the fight over the Supreme Court is going to be a bigger deal uh, than uh, than people realize in terms of moving resources away from the campaign. You know, it's going to move the focus, that's for sure. Uh, But I think it'll move resources away and make a difference. Now, think about this a week from today. A week from right now, tonight, right as we're speaking, the president will be finishing his first debate with Joe Biden. You think it's going to happen? I don't know how he can do it. I don't know how he can do it. I don't know how Joe Biden can do that debate. I mean, we'll see, but I don't I really don't see how he can do it, pull it off. Uh, but we'll find out. Alright, um, today we've got John Schlafly. We'll talk with John Schlafly about the Supreme Court, about the judicial picks. We'll see what he says about all that and then we'll also, we're going to do a replay. I'm going to replay Stephanie Carlson, the woman from Oregon who spoke last week with us. I got more than one email and one fo- text from someone else saying, hey, can we hear that again? Her uh, interview about what's happening in Oregon, the fires, the arson, uh, schools, going back to school. She's a fascinating woman, Stephanie Carlson. I'll replay that and we've got a lot more. So come Come on back. Thank you for listening. And uh, don't forget com to find out more of what we're doing. All these interviews are standalone links in there. And also you can... Um Go to eaglecountdown.com and catch up on all that we did these last three nights. Very cool uh, thing to do. We pulled it off uh, really well, had some great speakers and really interesting conversations. So I hope you'll uh, check that out, eaglecountdown.com. All right, we'll take a break. And when we come back, uh, we will talk with John Schlafly about judicial appointments, what's going on with uh, the possibilities of Amy Coney Barrett being the pick for the Supreme Court. We'll take a quick break. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report, and it's time for us to check in with John Schlafly. It's a little earlier this week. John Schlafly is actually working on his column uh, right now, the Schlafly Report, which posts each week over at townhall.com. But we needed to catch up with him because. Uh, boy, it's been a big four or five days in terms of some of the major figures. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. President Trump has moved ahead, uh, getting ready to appoint, uh, nominate someone. And uh, Mitch McConnell, I don't know, maybe the the hero of all heroes of judicial nominations is plowing ahead. So, uh, John, first of all, maybe some uh, thoughts or observations on Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I think the coverage has been typical of the left. They suddenly say that someone is the greatest thing ever if she's on the left. I mean, I I don't know her i guess i never met her uh but what's your uh wh- how would you describe ruth bader ginsburg's career and and uh her her life's work if not her i don't know if you ever met her did you ever meet
0: her no ed i i haven't met her uh or didn't meet her uh of course she was a lifelong uh, feminist and pursued that agenda even before she went on the supreme court at uh she was 60 years old when she went on the supreme court which is a little on the high side uh But uh, she certainly lived a long life, and she accomplished a lot with the other three Democrat appointees. And as we uh, noted in the column that we're finishing now, uh, sometimes it seems, Ed, that uh, Democrats with only four justices can accomplish as much or more than Republicans with five justices. Because what happens is... The, the four liberal Democrat justices on the Supreme Court have stuck together, they vote in lockstep, and they have managed to peel off one or sometimes two Republicans to join them on some high-profile cases that we all know about. And that includes John Roberts and Neil Gorsuch. But there's only going to be three uh, now, and that's probably not going to be enough. Um, so we're looking forward, frankly, at long last, and it's been many years come in the coming, to having a Supreme Court in which a working majority of justices who support the Constitution and believe in what Justice Scalia called a dead Constitution, not a living Constitution. And their job is to um, interpret the words of our founding document according to the public meaning of of the words that the words had when those words were adopted by the framers of our government. That's the approach that Justice Scalia had.
1: John, now we're talking with John Schlafly about uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, Even though you're right, the four stuck together, and and even though they've made a cottage industry for a decade of talking about RBG, you know, the notorious RBG and all this stuff, uh, am I wrong to say I don't recall... Her sort of seminal opinion. I don't call, recall in dissent that she made persuasive arguments. I I, I I think it feels to me like what she was effective at is a long term strategy and then long term service. You know, into her late eighties uh, as a reliable vote. Well, I mean, she she was not. I know she graduated. I saw that she was co number one in her class from uh, Columbia Law School or somewhere. I, I don't know. I never heard of the co thing before. But is uh, is. You know so i know she was very bright i don't mean to belittle that but she wasn't scalia whose opinions whose dissents are cited as uh forceful articulation of his position or even clarence thomas um and she wasn't rehnquist who cobbled together uh or as, as chief who did something or kennedy who using his middle position was able to direct the court w- w- was she really consequential
0: well uh uh I think she was because she, you know, she had a, st- a steady, it's true, she wasn't flamboyant like Justice Scalia. Uh, Justice Thomas, I love Justice Thomas, and he, he may have, a, I do expect that long term, he have, will have as much impact as anyone. And yet, he often was, was not able to bring together a majority uh, with him. Uh, but Ginsburg was, and she often did make a majority um and but but even after her passing you when you read her obituary she is still most celebrated for her advocacy of feminism even before she went on the supreme court and for some of the cases that she uh brought as a lawyer before she joined the supreme court um but um she was in the majority for many cases on the Supreme Court, whether she wrote the opinion or not. And so she certainly was consequential in that way.
1: We're talking with John Schlafly, and John is, of course, the co-author of the weekly column, the Schlafly Report, and he is uh, one of the leaders, the senior leaders of the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles organizations. And uh, so, John, let me, uh, observation about this moment then. So 45 days before the election, presidential election, you get Ruth Bader Ginsburg passes away. Uh, President Trump about, you know, two hours later says, well, we're going to do what we were elected to do and and name a nominee, which he's now said he will do later this week on Saturday, I think Uh, it appears that chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Lindsey Graham and the Republicans, it appears it's a couple of days into it, but they seem to be working together and committed to uh, getting this nominee through and getting a vote. Now we thought with someone like Kavanaugh that was going to happen too, and then of course the the eleventh hour surprise comes and there's a threat of an FBI investigation. We talked yesterday, John and I, with Senator Grassley, who was the chairman of the Judiciary Committee at the time. Two two questions, John. Does it really look? Do you really believe what you see, which is that the Republicans are working together? And second.
0: Will it? Will we? What will the reaction be from the left? And what? How? How? How crazy will it get? I, Ed, I do expect that the Republicans will, when you come right down to it, uh, support the president's nominee. And um, the political dynamics are are interesting, Ed, as you know. Uh, and both both Republicans and Democrats understand this. The, Re- the Republican base really cares about courts and the judges. The Democratic base, not so much. And it's a little bit ironic because the Democrats depend on the courts to enact so much of their agenda, and yet they can't really get their base energized as much about it as the Republican base is. And so I think all the Republican senators, even the weak ones, will uh, feel the heat from their constituents that this is a moment, this is a time, that uh, this is why Republicans are elected, you know. Uh, Ed, it used to be said some years ago that Republicans were put on Earth to cut taxes. Well, I think that's changed. Uh, Republicans were put on Earth, I think, to reclaim the courts from the uh, from the uh, well, what's the word? The you know, the people who believe in a believe in a living Constitution, and to restore it to the people who believe in the constitution that our founding fathers left for us and to, uh, you know, enforce that even today. So um, the best nominees believe that and uh, will interpret the provisions in that way and not feel like it's their job to remake society, to turn our country into a pure democracy. You know, Ed, our founding fathers feared democracy. Um, They set up a checks and balances and other provisions in the Constitution in order to restrain uh, pure democracy. And uh, so there are many ways the uh, the structure of our government does that, and uh, such as the Electoral College, such as the United States Senate, in which each state has equal representation, uh, such as the fact that our gov- our national government is placed in a district all by itself outside any other state. And, uh, but what we have here is uh, within the Harris-Biden uh, administration, uh, it, it hopefully will never happen. Uh, you know, you know, Kamala Harris, you know, really let the cat out of the bag, as you know, the other day when she referred to the Harris administration with Joe Biden as an afterthought, uh, because that's how they do it. And uh, they're going to put a, probably Stacey Abrams on the United States Supreme Court as soon as they have the opportunity. And the idea is to convert our government into a pure Democracy with a national electoral process, so we have got to prevent prevent that from happening.
1: All right, so it looks like every sign out of uh, out of the uh, the swamp and the nearby swamp in the presidency is that it's down to a few candidates, but the leading candidate is Amy Coney Barrett, and she went through a nomination process, uh, got uh, got questioned by Diane Feinstein, and and Diane Feinstein uh, said the dogma runs deep. And your Newsweek just ran a piece earlier today claiming that the uh, the Catholic I don't know, prayer group that she belongs to is the inspiration for uh, one of these dystopian novels. I don't know, Margaret uh, Atwood or whoever. Um, Then they retracted it. They said it wasn't right, but it didn't matter. Uh, How uh, ugly is this going to get, John? And how, you know, does an Amy Coney Barrett? I mean, we, we have had two nominations that went seamlessly insofar as they actually... Got them through, um, you know. Judge Ginsburg didn't make it through. Judge Bork didn't make it through. Um, Judge Garland didn't make it through. What, what handicap? What you think uh, is coming in the next uh, forty or so days?
0: Well, I think, uh, uh, of course, you know, we we often are surprised when justices get on the Supreme Court and and uh, rise to that lo- lofty, rarefied position, and uh, but I. Uh, I'm optimistic that Coney Barrett will, uh, who was a clerk for Justice Scalia and uh, will uh, feel, as Scalia did, that uh, her job is not to import her own values, but to implement the Constitution of the United States and the laws enacted by Congress. And, uh, um, of course, uh, all justices have values and bring their Values to their job, and there are provisions in the Constitution which are open-ended, and um, uh, but uh, uh, indications uh, are Amy Comey Barrett or or really many of the others on the list of the multiple lists. I think the total of all the lists published by President Trump is about forty uh, potential candidates, but we're down now to the finalists. And um, uh, um, you know it is true, Ed, that we we should not give too much weight or all of our weight to the single justice who is going to sit on the Supreme Court, because our Constitution is really bigger than any one justice. And the Supreme Court currently nine, although the Constitution doesn't say how many justices. And the Democrats are threatening. if they get back in charge, to pack the Supreme Court by adding a number of new positions. You know, Franklin Roosevelt tried that about 80 years ago. He wanted to put six new justices on the Supreme Court. He didn't get by with that. You know, some of the Democrats are talking about that to overcome Trump's uh, nominees by creating new positions and putting new liberals like Stacey Abrams on the Supreme Court uh, and to make it a court of 12 or 15 Justices who can then outvote trump's appointees now, uh, I hope that doesn't happen we've got to work against that uh, because the important thing is to have reverence for the form of government that our founding fathers uh, left for us and as as Trump said, you know our children should be taught to honor our history and our history includes our constitution and the great Men who get who left it for us and uh and we just got to preserve that with our judiciary and I think Donald Trump is doing that as president, and it may turn out to be his greatest legacy well and it 's
1: hard to imagine at this point uh, i mean can you imagine one term that has been more consequential i, I mean in terms of the three Supreme Court justices, hundreds of other justices uh massive uh, changes in the uh, regulatory and impeachment uh it's uh, Donald Trump has been able to uh to pack a lot of history in one term. I don't know. You know, I, we keep all this uh, action. And next, uh, you know, you know who loves this more than anything is the cable news. They just love all the attention. Everybody's paying attention I don't even know what Hollywood does anymore. They just we just have we have Donald Trump and the, and the world of American politics. All right. I got to run. John Schlafly, as always, the Schlafly Report is available at townhall.com and over at phyllischlafly.com. We'll take a brief a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is a friend of mine. I met her a few years ago when she upset the... uh upset the Apple card is that the right way to say it? upset upset I would think uh, so. people <laughs> when she ran for school board and won. Uh, Stephanie Carlson also runs a business with her husband and uh, financial services business and you can find out more about her and him and their business 48 financial.com check that out but Stephanie welcome to the program first of all before we get to the bigger news because you're based in Oregon and you have a perspective on what's happening may I ask you how is school reopening happening in your neck of the woods in your School district upon which you serve on the school board.
2: Yeah, well, we actually haven't even started school yet for the years at that funny Ed. It hasn't started because of the fires that are going on.
1: Oh, really? So there's yeah. not the, the, the fires are causing them. It's not COVID that's keeping them out.
2: Well, it was COVID. Everything was online this year, um, but we haven't even started online because of so many fires in our area and evacuations. Yep.
1: Yeah. So all right. So tell me, Stephanie Carlson, what you know about what's happening with these fires. I I talked to you yesterday on a call and I was surprised to see it. And you send more information in the rest of the country. You know, we're seeing some coverage of this, but we're mostly seeing it like, wow, there's fires. That's terrible. Or, Mm -hmm. wow, there's burning cities. That's terrible. But tell me what you're seeing on the ground, what you're hearing, what you uh, what you know.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So any of your listeners that watch the media and the news to see what's going on out here in the Pacific Northwest, well, they're just not getting the full story yet. The story media cannot be trusted. Um, there were many fires that were started by hot, dry, windy conditions, but many of them were not. Last Wednesday, I noticed that there were 17 fires reported within a one-hour period, and I thought, wow, that's, that seems kind of odd. Um, <laughs> shortly after, I started hearing stories of people seeing fields and brush being lit on fire by other people, and many eyewitness accounts uh, were being given of really peculiar things. Um, a friend of mine's husband stopped to put out a fire on the side of the road, and he saw a line wow. of light, lighter fluid that were it was like hmm. somebody had literally uh, dumped lighter fluid on the side of the road. Another friend of mine witnessed two people lighting his field on fire. I've had uh, just interesting, peculiar um, trucks and things in front of my own farm. Um, There's just been tons, myriad of stories and eyewitness accounts on social media given about how a lot of these fires are being started by arson.
1: What is the what do you think the reason is? I mean, what I mean, I I don't mean to say, you know, but I mean, when you someone says they see a fire, is it are these out of towners that are in town causing chaos? Is it Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, what's what's going on in uh, Oregon? I mean, between Portland and this, I mean, what's what what is can you can you sense what, what is what's behind it?
2: Well, you know, what my gut feeling is, is that they've already burnt down Portland to the ground. Um, There have been extremist groups, like Antifa, that have Said that they were going to come out to the country and do damage out here, and I see that happening. So, as as many people on social media, you know, they're so quick to want to defend Antifa and these extremist groups, which is beyond me. I don't understand why they're defending them. Um, I can't really see any other logical conclusions except for it is some of these extremist groups that are coming out to burn our countryside. Um, And the, the funny thing about all of this is, it feels like there's a cover up going on. And I will tell you an example there was an emergency meeting held by Clackamas County Board of Commissioners on September 10th, and they had Captain Jeff Smith of the Sheriff's Department uh, speaking about what was happening and how they suspected, they didn't confirm, but they suspected Antifa involvement. And um, you can, any of your listeners that want to can go online and search that out. Um, it gets really interesting about um, minute 10 or so of the of the meeting. Um, but basically this, the the captain is saying that there is mischief going on and um, but at the same time we're getting little um, some descriptions some posts on social media and Facebook from Clackamas County Sheriff's Office that are saying that these are just rumors well we know that they're they're not rumors we know that arson is happening so it's just there's a lot of weird weird peculiar things going on Mm-hmm.
1: Is it um, so? Are, how bad are the fires? Like, I mean, no, you're, in your in your yeah. ca- county, and, and is you know we've seen a lot of coverage of California's fires. How bad are the fires in Oregon?
2: They're pretty bad. They're pretty bad. We were on uh, evacuation level two for uh, several days. There's most of it's just a ghost town here in town. I came in town just to do this interview, but shortly I'll go back home where the the air is a little bit better. But it is smoky. It is horrible. So there are definitely fires. Um, Um, Our crews out here are working tirelessly, um, our fire crews, and then also just the good old boys of the countryside have decided to to help out. And so there's this whole community is coming together to put out fires. But it's not just here in Oregon, it's all all the way up in Washington as well. I watched footage of a guy starting a fire on the side of the road through a home security camera just a few days ago that was in Kelso, Washington. So um, it's not just here, it's all the way up and down the states here on the west.
1: Well, and for those of us that are not in the, in the um, you know, in that um, neck of the woods, pun intended, I mm-hmm. guess, um, yeah. <laughs> the danger here is, the danger is right around this time, it, 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 these fires are spreading like wild, mm-hmm. like wild. I mean, that's the real, it's not, um, it's not like somebody comes and burns your house down and you're like, wow, that was arson. Somebody starts a fire over here and then it'll spread and, right. and, and clear out a farm and clear out a, a house and, and it may even hurt, you know, maybe even hurt someone if they don't get out of harm's way. It's, mm-hmm. it's that combustible. Are there, being, are there arrests? Being made? I mean, you, if you know this and you're a leader in the community, are, are people getting arrested and, and detained for it or where where's the where's the law enforcement?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, there. I will say one more little note to the kind of the peculiar aspect of all of this. A deputy was put on leave for stating on video, and I'm going to quote him, um, Antifa mother expletive are out causing hell and there's a lot of lives at stake and there's a lot of people's property at stake because these guys got some vendetta, end quote. This deputy was heard saying this on the video and then he was shortly uh, removed, you Well, know, he, was, he was put Put on leave for stating that on a video um, he's just out saying what he's seeing and he's putting being put on leave um so, yeah, there, it's, it's just, it's crazy. I, I, there have been arrests made. There were two gentlemen, uh, gentlemen, I shouldn't use the word gentlemen, two guys right. that were arrested, um, and I don't have their names up here. I think I sent them to you earlier. Uh, and then also, it's funny, after they were arrested, after Clackamas County Sheriff's Department said, you know, no arrest had been made, these guys were arrested, and then they excused why they were being arrested. They Even though the accounts were for arson, Prison, they blamed them on something that didn't have to do with the fires. So do you see, like, there's this, this cover-up happening that we don't know mm. what's going on. There's another guy what about was, the? Yeah, he was arrested keep going. for throwing... No, keep going. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. He was arrested for throwing Molotov cocktails, uh, and then he was uh, arrested, and then he was let go, and then he did it again <laughs> right after he right. was let go out of prison. So, yeah, there are arrests being made.
1: What about um, oh, two, two, two questions one what about the uh, federal government is there you know I know in, in places where the federal government has been asked to come in and so sometimes they could be asked to come in in a county where maybe in the cities in Portland the mayor is obviously a big democrat are there any places where the federal government can help and the second thing is what's what's your sense of the impact on the upcoming election in uh, you know, Oregon's a safely democrat place it's a one party rule generally mm-hmm. but what is that what are the people feeling about the the, the election
2: Oh, man. Well... you know I don't know if the feds are out here for sure or not I would love to know that so if you hear of anything mm-hmm. let me know too uh, mm-hmm. as far as the election goes you know I just think it's just is getting more and more tumultuous out here as we get closer to the election it feels like there's all of this stuff is happening on purpose to to wreak havoc you know you know I've thought too well maybe it's they're trying to set everything on fire so people can't get their ballots turned in you know there's a lot of speculation to to the reasons behind why they're doing these things but yeah the, the election coming up is just it's just causing a lot of a lot of stress here in the here in oregon for sure
1: well and, and what about and get back to school for one second mm-hmm. anybody saying when they think school will get back in
2: well, it sounds like we're going to start tomorrow. Um, oh, we good. Yeah, hopefully, I, we don't know that for sure, but that's what it looks like. There was a, some pushback from the board this week saying, "Why are we not starting school? You know, these kids are on laptops. We, we, mm-hmm. we, des- our kids deserve better than this." So, I think that really helped, kind of. Per- push them, propel them mm-hmm. to get going for the year. Yeah, so pro- hmm. most likely right. tomorrow. Mm-hmm.
1: Good. All right, Stephanie, i got to run. Thank you for your time, Stephanie Carlson. Keep us informed on this the update Absolutely. from Oregon and what's going on. I, I, I wonder uh, often about uh, whether we'll ever find out the truth behind some of this. So thanks, Stephanie, very much. We'll take a You're quick welcome. break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
0: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by opposing radical feminism and representing a traditional conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now, the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin.
1: As a father of young children, I consider education to be tremendously important. Young people need to learn the fundamental building blocks of being a well-informed and productive citizen. Reading and writing is an especially important part of it. Good grammar helps people communicate with professionalism in a way that other people can understand. However, despite my appreciation for the necessity of grammar, I can't appreciate academic elites who keep trying to hijack grammar as the latest vehicle for their radical social justice agenda. The Associated Press announced that they would start capitalizing the B in black, but not the W in white when referring to skin color. This is obviously baffling to any traditional grammarian. Although many Christians show reverence by capitalizing the deity with respect to our Heavenly Father, we otherwise maintain neutrality when it comes to grammar. I may not like North Korea, but I won't start writing it lowercase out of spite. Yet the Associated Press decided to weaponize grammar by capitalizing black, but not white. Their reasoning for this move is downright laughable. They said they wanted to recognize the shared sense of history, identity, and community of black people. However, they explained that capitalizing the term white, as is done by white supremacists, risks subtly conveying legitimacy to such beliefs. This is a classic tactic of the left. Shut down debate by calling someone a white supremacist. As far as they're concerned, it's no longer an open discussion about grammar, but a literal black and white choice between either honoring black people or being a white supremacist. Focusing on supposedly racist grammar is not a meaningful discussion about helping minorities in our nation. If we really want to help black people, we should stop the threat to jobs in black communities caused by illegal immigrant labor. We should unleash the free market in underprivileged communities. We should adopt school vouchers to let parents pull their kids out of failing schools. This would be real progress for black Americans. Chasing down the racist grammar boogeyman is not the answer.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders. But Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at com. We encourage you to bookmark com and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the uh, Pro-America Pro- Report. We've got to finish things up today with a uh, just a short segment here and remind you, ProAmericaReport.com. Also, follow me on Twitter, at EagleEdMartin, at EagleEdMartin. And uh, we'll be getting ready. I'm going to talk to you about the debates tomorrow uh, and also on um, Wednesday. And we've got, uh, well, we've got Ted Malik back tomorrow. We'll talk with Ted. He's got a new essay out. Uh, but two big guests down the stretch this week. Number one, Judge Jeanine Pirro has a new book out. We'll talk Talk with her tomorrow, and also on Thursday, Father James Altman. He did a nine-minute video where he said, "You cannot be Catholic and a Democrat." Period. He's got a gazillion views. He's gotten a lot of controversy, and we'll talk with him on Thursday. You're going to want to hear that one. It'll be uh, pretty spectacular to uh, to hear what he says. And uh, later on, we'll also talk to Hans von Spakovsky. Sorry, Friday about what he sees in terms of the problems surrounding the election. And there are many, there are many, uh, many to follow. In fact, uh, I will ask him this question. You know, I was out with Catherine Engelbrecht, True the Vote, and uh, I asked her, uh, Catherine Engelbrecht, about this uh, question, which has come up, and she told me an answer. We haven't seen if this is totally true, but I knew from my experience at the election board, when I ran the election board, that um, it just was true that low-income people moved more frequently than people that had more money because when you have more money you buy a house and then you don't move so in the city of st louis where i was the election board chairman you had people that moved low-income folks maybe twice sometimes three times a year and tracking their movement to get them a ballot to make sure they're registered to vote was a real challenge big time so what she told me was mail-in balloting has a disparate effect on low-income folks and high, a disparate effect on uh, minority voters because they tend to move more. So, in other words, if you do a mail-in ballot, you might never catch up with a person. Now, the question is whether you mail a, a mail-in ballot to someone's address before uh, they, after they moved, and they, you know, it opens yourself up for fraud. But her point was. You're going to have some people that are objecting and saying, hey, you can't have this system because it's impacting. So mail in, you know, supposedly the liberal Democrats who want mail in voting, they're supposed to be for all the hyphenated American groups. Turns out mail in balloting actually hurts the folks that they say they want to help. No surprise. It's kind of common. Um, all right. We got to wrap it up, I'm sorry to say. It goes fast. Time goes by. Uh, thank you, as always, for uh, all the help from our great Noah, who's actually out. Uh, Randy's stepping in, but Noah's still behind the scenes helping. And Joanna, for booking our guests, uh, don't forget to uh, go to ProAmericaReport.com to find out more and get all these segments. And we'll be back tomorrow
0: night. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. <laughs>